Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, uh, everybody, we made it to Thanksgiving week. Jason, we are in Thanksgiving week. And, and you know what? We recovered from the birthday, too. So uh, our, <laughs> our login still work. Our key card still works. So uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't lose our job I, after interviewing our boss. I don't know why you keep saying we. You were the one who, you got the look from her when you were asking her some questions. The look that said, keep on going with that question, and I'm going to start packing your things into a small cardboard box at the office. Yeah, but you get the notes all the time. You, you get the notes from <laughs> I her. I do get the notes. Yeah, so Maybe that's going to switch now, though. For, for what it's worth. Uh, so, you know, the funny thing, first of all, are you, are you having a beer here? Have we met? Come on. I just didn't know. Yeah, are you, are you um, not? I didn't know if maybe you had, I didn't know if you'd reeled yourself back in after, you know, your, your, your performance with our boss the other day, if like maybe you thought it was time to dry out a little bit. Uh, well, you were the one bragging in the last episode about you went finally beer shopping for the first time in two years. I did. Instead of relying on Mrs. Wheeler to do all your beer shopping. Uh, that's correct. And and this time I'm having a porter, which I don't usually do. Yeah. Uh, and it's called a pecan peat. Wow. Have you had this? I have not. It lo- looks familiar though. Where's it from? Uh, this is from, I think it said it was from Cisco, Texas. Yes, from Cisco, Texas. And um, where is this? Yeah, go? I don't usually do porters. Cisco's we'll see the, how this goes. Is Cisco the Hill Country? Where is that? Uh, Cisco, yes, I think so. I, I you know, I, as soon as I said it, I, I know of Cisco. And as soon as I said it, I thought he's going to ask me where that is and I'm going to be stumped. You've lived all over the I state, am. man. You should know this stuff. I, that, that is absolutely true. It is, uh, well, while, while I look that I'll up, I'll tell you what, what I'm having? having. I'm having the, uh, the bombshell Pilsner. This bombshell. is, yeah, it, it says it's beer for people who like beer and it's brewed and canned by Southern star brewing in Conroe, Texas. I'll tell you where Conroe hmm. is. Conroe is, on I know I, where that is on I 45, just North of Houston, uh, before you get to the, well, between the woodlands and, um, Huntsville. Okay, I've done this drive a gazillion times as I'm escaping Texas for different things. And uh, Cisco, this is why I... Texas. Yeah, every night you got to escape. Um, Cisco is between... It's way outside uh, to the west of Fort Worth. Just before you get to Abilene, it's on uh, I-20. I was way off. I know that I've seen that. Well, I bet you that that would be considered maybe hill country, wouldn't it? I don't know. It's probably Because like... it gets a little bit... No, probably not. You got to go south of there. Yeah. It's like windmill right, so turbine area. I picked this pecan peat for this week since it's, uh, you know, Thanksgiving week, you know, maybe some pecan pie. I don't know if this is a pecan pie kind of beer or if it's, you know, just straight up pecan. Is it but good? We're going to find out. Weird thing happened the other day, by the way. What happened? Um, I was out shopping <laughs> and um, like shopping at the mall. We were at the mall. Really? I haven't been to the mall in a while. Yeah. And so we were out shopping at the mall and I, you know, saw some things and, and I was kind of amazed that there were some sales 
that actually enticed me to buy some things. Everybody keeps on talking about how, you know, prices are through the roof right now. And, you know, it, it's unbelievable out there. You can't find stock, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I couldn't find shoes in my size. But um, so there was a stock issue there. But other stuff I was finding and finding it on sale, like really marked down. Here's the problem. I only, <laughs> And I don't know why I did this. I only bought stuff for me while I was there. Like I could have actually knocked out some of my holiday shopping, but there's just something about it where I just can't make myself start. Even things were on sale. You're so selfish, man. Mrs. <laughs> Wheeler, so. once again, I mean, she, she comes to the rescue and takes she care w- of you. She was with me. There's no way that I could have like she bought was- stuff for her. But I could have bought things for other people, and I don't know why I didn't. Wow, man. <laughs> but I cleaned up. But was it was it for your, you know, I guess it was all for yourself for, for work stuff, or what was it? Just, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I came across some pants I liked, got, got some jeans that I liked. Again, the shoes, you know, I, I liked the shoes, but they didn't have the right size on those. So I think that shoes might still be caught up in supply chain problems. But Probably so. Beyond that, I mean, stuff was there. It was on sale. And uh, I made out like you, a bandit. Should, I'm, I'm going to be sweating bullets come Christmas week, but I made out like a bandit. Man, you should get out more often because there are sales all the time. And Yeah, you but, you, but if you listen to or read reports right now, oh boy, we're, we don't have anything. There's nothing on the shelves. It, you, know, you better do it now. You got to get out there now. Look out for higher prices, inflation, inflation. And it didn't seem that bad in that one little microcosm where I was. Hmm. Well, I, I've done some some Christmas shopping. Not, I mean, not really. I, I ordered my mom a few things um, mm-hmm. because she's out of state, so that's taken care of. But um, I've really got to buckle down and do this stuff. But yeah, like you said, w- what should we expect when we get to the stores? That's the big question. I think we're going to get some inspiration right now. Yeah, so we have, um, we're going to talk about the supply chain here and, and whether it's the new normal or the new abnormal, whichever way you look at it. So we have two different perspectives on the podcast with us today. Um, one person who studies this stuff and looks at it all around the world and another person who lives it right here in Texas and uh, across the country. So the, the, our first guest is Margaret Kidd. She is uh, on the line with us. She's from the University of Houston. She's the program director of supply chain and logistics technology. So that means she is probably neck deep in this all the time and knows exactly what's going on. Neither one of us has started uh, shopping for gifts yet, even though every expert keeps saying to do that because the supply chain is just such a mess in so many places right now. I think that a lot of people have just heard this for months and months and months now that the supply chain is disrupted. I think sometimes it's probably even being used as an excuse when it's not the problem in some cases. Uh, How much longer is this going to continue like this? I think the reality of the situation is that it's going to take another 12 to 18 months for our economy and the global economy to approach a new normal. I wouldn't call it normality, but a new normal. Um, Part of the problem here with the disruption and the supply chain crunch is we have consumers spending record amounts of money on e-commerce and at the mall. And, you know, that was made available from savings, surplus savings, Um, Folks working at home, not commuting, not going on vacations. 
and and not not engaging with services such as going to the gym or or the beauty shop, for instance. Um, so that and then then factor in three government stimulus checks. So a lot of um, extra income, and we've been on a shopping holiday for almost two years. Well, what has to happen in 12 to 18 months, Professor Kidd? Is it vaccinations in other parts of the world? What, what, what do we need to be watching for that will suggest to us that the supply chain and kinks are getting worked out? Well, one of the problems we saw originally was um, it, truly the impact of COVID. So, so much of our manufacturing is in China and Southeast Asia. And as COVID spread, you had factories close intermittently over the last two years. In fact, Vietnam was closed from middle of July through the 1st of October. And I mean, that's a major manufacturing center for goods that come to the U.S. and, and, and to Europe. Um, so, we're going to have to see vaccination rates increase in other parts of the world. And part of that is providing supplies of vaccines, the vaccine access. So if you look at vaccination rates, say in Vietnam, literally just two months ago, I mean, you had less than 5% of the population was vaccinated. About eight weeks ago, everyone in Ho Chi Minh City was vaccinated. So there's 97 million people in the country and 10 million got a a shot in their arm, you know, a couple, you know, several weeks ago. Um, But we need to continue rolling out and providing access in these big manufacturing hubs, which would include Indonesia, Thailand, India, um, Vietnam, Bangladesh, Philippines. And China. Yeah. Hmm. Because that's where so many of those container ships are coming to the U.S. from. Uh, I am glad, Professor Kidd, that you immediately hit on this issue of people buying so much. We keep on hearing about it being uh, a problem with producers, a problem with transportation. And we know that we have all of those issues. But retail sales have just been bonkers this year. Uh, and people keep looking around for someone to blame for all these supply chain issues. It turns Turns out it, it, it might well, be us. I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, retail sales came out um, this last week, and it was six hundred and thirty eight billion dollars that was spent um, in October. And so, if you look at where retail sales were pre pandemic, um, at the same time, and this was a substantial increase. Also, we've got to look at e-commerce. If we go back two years prior to COVID, e-commerce as a percentage of all retail sales was around 10%. I mean, we've touched on 15%. So that's like a 57% increase in the last two years in a very short time frame. So with any kind of business, imagine your sales going up 57%. And then do you have the infrastructure to support those sales? And so that's been part of the problem right there is just an increased amount of spending, an enormous amount going into e-commerce. Um, but we do anticipate that this is, you know, that consumers will slow their spending. It's not sustainable at this pace. I think within the next six months or so, um, 
will be approaching more normal spending. I mean, I see it even here in Houston. People are getting out and going to sporting events. They're going to concerts. They are going back to Mm -hmm. the nail salon and, and beauty shops. So the service sector is definitely picking up. And that's going to cut into what people are spending on goods, therefore. And so we might see a little bit of a reprieve there. I do want to tack this on to the end of it, though. It's not just consumers who have been buying up and hoarding. Let's talk about businesses because their supply chains were so disrupted. They've been through so much that they didn't anticipate in these past couple of years. And so in a lot of cases, they've been snatching up as much raw material and different products that they need as well so that they can make what they make. So if you're in commercial real estate, You might be purchasing larger quantities of paint or air conditioning spare parts just to be prepared in case there is a problem down the line. Well, let's go back to what you said about people Mm -hmm. slowing their spending down, forecasting that. If people slow their spending down six months from now, if shelves get restocked, do prices come back down as well too, Professor Kidd? Well, y'all give me one second here because I... I'm very big on using data, and I want to be exacting on this. Such a professor, too. And I saw you as you were about to sit down, and you had this stack of papers. And I thought, I don't know if she looks more like a professor or a college student walking around with this enormous stack of papers um, and a computer. No, I, I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than listening to someone talk about a subject, and, you know, they're just talking through their, you know, what. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah. Totally I mean, agree. You know, I am a college Yeah. That's usually what we do. We bring you on to be the expert. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, this excess demand and then, you know, factor in the COVID disruptions, labor, et cetera, um, you know, has created a number of issues. But the biggest one right now, it's called inflation. So we're seeing the highest inflation we've had in over 30 years. Um, the CPI this last week came out at 6.2%. The, the CPI um, is the, the grocery, consumer price index. Right, the consumer price index. If you um, if you look globally, um, food prices are up 33%. Here in the U.S., there's approximately 12% of the population that are in food insecure households. So if you're working in an hourly wage job, a 30% increase in the cost of your fuel and your groceries is is going to not going to be manageable. And and that that represents mm-hmm. about 38 million people that are impacted um, by inflation outside of the U.S. Inflation impacts the less developed world um, more severely than it does the U.S. But we do have vulnerable populations here in Houston. There's approximately half a million people that live in food insecure households. But did you expect the prices to come mm-hmm. back down, though, once people slow their spending, once shelves get restocked, once the supply chain works itself out. Are these prices that we're paying now going to remain or will inflation correct itself? I think eventually inflation will correct itself in the intermediate term. I would look for prices decreasing over the next six to 12 months. Is it going to happen right away? No, absolutely not. But I think in the intermediate and long term, um, we're in much better shape than we are currently. 
I hope that you're right. I hope these companies don't get accustomed to charging what they're charging and bringing in what they're bringing in when things return back to pre-pandemic, quote unquote, normal. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit while we're on the subject of companies. um, Some of these have been adapting to to what we've been seeing these past couple of years. I saw something the other day about uh, a manufacturer, uh, you know, not using as many chips in uh, a a snowplow, for instance, and going back to this old joystick handheld model so that they didn't have to put as many chips in there just because there's not as many chips available. This is really a time for companies to have to be uh, almost do gymnastics to figure out how to deal with this. Well, certainly manufacturers that were agile and could pivot um, and, you know, tweak some designs. I mean, that was certainly one one way to deal with this. But, you know, as I tell my students, um, you know, Charles Darwin pegged it Um, when he said the survival of a species is about adaptation and collaboration. So, you know, you look at companies throughout the world and, you know, they've had to band together different industries and collaborate with people they might be competing with. Um, But this was, you know, the proof in the is in the pudding on um, some of some of these companies have really excelled um, in this environment. And so this is our new normal, and collaboration is a big key. Professor, we saw some news from Walmart the other day. Walmart said, hey, the shelves are stocked. We're flush with money. We're good to go for Christmas shopping. Um, when I read that, I'm like, well, heck, is, is there really a supply chain issue now? Because Walmart has everything. Walmart has one of the best supply chains in the world. They're very diversified. Their largest import distribution center is here in the Houston area with over 5 million square feet, but they also have a footprint in other major port cities. And yes, their their distribution centers and their warehouses are full. Um, You may not get the exact model or color or brand that you're looking for, but the merchandise is definitely in the stores. So, so should the federal government follow Walmart's model here, it sounds like? Or it seems, it seems like everyone should follow Walmart's model, huh? Well, if you've heard me, <laughs> this is a trap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have preconceived ideas about Walmart? I, I don't know. I, I didn't mean to lead you into something. No, no, no. They're on my advisory board. Oh. Um, no. Um, oh. You know, if you've listened to my numerous interviews over the last two years, uh, we really need to have supply chain managers diversifying where they're bringing imports into the U.S. One of mm-hmm. the big problems is 40 percent of all Asian containers go into L.A. Long Beach. That's just a natural bottleneck as it is, but then add in this excessive trade and you you understand now why there's 110 ships sitting out in San Pedro Bay. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you that exact question next, because, you know, years ago we saw the Panama Canal getting some uh, some rework uh, so that they could handle more ships and so forth. does this ultimately benefit big ports like the University of Houston, which is right down the road from you? Are we going to see uh, some some real memory when this is all said and done with manufacturers and shippers and retailers figuring out we've got to create some better routes here and not take it all into that same bottleneck it's in Southern California? Houston, I think you meant to say it's not, not the University of Houston, right? The port of Houston. Didn't I say you, you, you port of Houston? on your mind, Jaybird. That's all right, man. I think I said Port of Houston, which is right down the street from the University of Houston. Okay. We're going to have to play that back. Okay. 
Um, but that's what I meant either way. Well, what we've seen over the last 10 years is some slippage of trade from West Coast ports to Texas Gulf Coast and Southeast Atlantic ports. So that would include Port of Houston, Port of Freeport, uh, Port of Savannah, Port of Charleston. And, and certainly there are very strong lessons learned about diversifying your ports of entry and also about diversifying where your suppliers are located and where your manufacturing facilities are located. I anticipate that we will see a movement towards some nearshoring, um, whether that's in Mexico or Northern Triangle countries like Guatemala, El Salvador, um, Honduras. Um, but I, I definitely think we will see some movement that direction. And at the end of the day, um, have Texas Gulf Coast ports and Southeast Atlantic ports benefited during this supply chain crunch? Um, there's no question. I mean, we're seeing record trade um, come through all the port systems within the U.S. Professor, you mentioned nearshoring. That's a term I'm not familiar with. Is that taking things to Mexico or, or uh, any of the Latin American countries and then put them on rail and bringing them to the U.S.? Is that what that is? Well, certainly a rail is an option in Mexico, but nearshoring essentially means, you know, you're manufacturing close to the borders. Okay. The majority of our manufacturing is in China, Southeast Asia, um, very long distances. And we see, we've seen uh, what has happened when you have a major um disruption such as covid so we may see this change the the sort of footprint of manufacturing uh, around the world and a lot of that manufacturing come a, a lot closer to our doorstep here or maybe in inside the u.s i think that that that's a very strong possibility and you know, certainly if we had some policy responses um to attract manufacturing back to america but you also we need to be realistic about this I mean, the wages in the U.S. are very high vis-a-vis where manufacturing is currently occurring. So it has to be profitable for these companies to onshore. And I think the reality of the situation is nearshoring is going to be the path forward uh, with, you know, a portion of manufacturing. Professor Kidd, part of the infrastructure package that that passed not too long ago um, is for ports, is for railroads, freight and passenger railroads. Um, Is is any of that going to make a dent at all, or is that just long-term, 10 years out type stuff? Well, any type of infrastructure project is long-term in nature. Um, We have needed to upgrade America's infrastructure for decades. Um, The American Society of Civil Engineers does an annual report card on our infrastructure, on our roads, bridges, and ports, and we have a C minus. So I think it's great that the Biden administration has this legislation passed, but this is more intermediate and long-term. You know, one of the things that I think is really critical are the ports. We need those funds for dredging, all ports dredge, right? So especially here in the Gulf Coast, uh, we just kicked off 
the Project 11, which is deepening and widening the Houston Ship Channel. The Port of Freeport is in the process of deepening theirs. But this is an ongoing process. So we, we need to, that funding. Um, and we need funding for digital infrastructure. U.S. ports are decades behind European and Asian ports in terms of automation and in terms of you know, operating in a digital system. So European ports use something called a port community system where all data is exchanged between the carriers, the truck drivers, the rail, hmm. uh, the shippers, the port authorities. Um, and, you know, it's kept on an online platform and the U.S. has not adopted this. And that certainly would help optimize that would certainly help optimize operations. I know Port of LA has a trial run going on a, a type of port community system. And, you know, I, I, I'd love to see more port authorities adopting this technology. Uh, and, and maybe we'll start to see some of that now that some of that money is flowing infrastructure wise. And certainly some hard lessons have been learned here over these past couple of years about getting things moved around. We've talked a lot about long term, uh, you know, where the solutions come from and what we're likely to see in the more near term, though. We've got all these ships that are sitting offshore there in California. We've got the containers. It seems like stacked sky high there at those ports. Uh, everybody keeps saying, you know, there's too many ships. There's not enough truckers. There's not enough this. There's not enough that. What needs to happen here in the near term to break this log jam and get things at least closer to normal? First of all, there is a misconception that these ships can just turn around and go through the Panama Canal and choose another port. Some of these ships are, you know, 18 to 20,000 TEUs, which is a 20-foot equivalent unit. That, that's a, a container, right? And so the Panama Canal can host a ship that holds about 14,000 containers. So there's limitations on what can go through the Panama Canal. We are seeing a number of major retailers charter their own ships and charter their own planes. And I mean, that's, that's a temporary fix, certainly. Um, and those are going to a variety of ports and airports, you know, as they come back into the U.S. Um, I think it's a little bit misleading that, you know, the thought that L.A. Long Beach was going to operate 24-7. The reality is the warehouses have to open 24-7 and the truckers have to be willing to drive 24-7. So that's going to take some time. But if everyone can agree um to those hours and you, you know, beef up your workforce. I mean, eventually all of those ships, that cargo will be on LA Long Beach terminal and then distributed throughout the US. Now, one of the advantages of the Texas Gulf Coast, in particular Port Houston and Port Freeport, is within a thousand miles. We're, we have connectivity to over 152 million people. And Dallas is certainly a very important market along with Austin and, and San Antonio. That's a good point. Here's my last question I have for you, Professor Kidd. Are you done with all your holiday shopping now? Well, I'm notorious and I wait till the last minute. But I, <laughs> You're our kind of people then. <laughs> um, I will probably start shopping in the next week or so. I, I mean... Hmm. You know, I'm the kind of shopper that goes in and the candy canes are gone at Target when I sh show up on Christmas Eve. Um, I do plan to shop before Christmas Eve this year. Uh, 
Okay, you know what? That just lit a fire under me because you just described, I think, both of us. I've got one more before we let you go here, just because of the setting that you're in, which, again, is uh, I proudly proclaim as my alma mater, the University of Houston. Um, how helpful is it or, or how challenging is it right now to be teaching the next generation uh, who will be in supply chain and logistics with all of this going on around them? And might we be better off because they are learning at a time like this? And so their thought process is going to be wired in a whole different way than the last generation. This has been a magical opportunity for students. I mean, they're they're learning from a real world crisis. And, you know, forget these case studies we show them. Um, This is all current. And they're seeing the importance of collaboration and the importance of having an agile response. Well said. Uh, Professor Kidd, thank you for taking the time and for bringing those reams of data there with you. Uh, We really do appreciate uh, you shedding some light on this. We just have 12 to 18 months left to go. The reality of the situation is we're probably 12 to 18 months before we get to the new normal. So uh, after hearing from Margaret there, uh, I want to go back to the beginning and and think about this a little bit that I really should have uh, maybe picked up a few things for other people because that nightmare scenario that she describes there, I have lived that nightmare scenario. I honestly have been there where even the candy canes are gone. I love that she said that because when you're shopping and the candy canes are gone, you know that things have gone totally sideways on you. You know that you are desperate and that people probably aren't going to get good things from you this time. You you shop for yourself on Black Friday or before Black Friday and you shop for everyone else a few days before Christmas. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. One year, and I think we've talked about this before, I gave cash to people. That's all I gave was cash to everybody. Yeah, I missed that. You got nothing. I didn't even know you at that (laughs) point. Uh, And even if I did, I wouldn't have given you any cash. Um, But the reason I gave cash was because I waited till the last minute and the mall closed earlier than I thought it was going to. And it was just there was no way I was going to get it done. So I just melted down and I gave everybody lots of cash. I spent way more money than I would have spent if I bought them gifts, because when you give them cash, it has to look like a respectable amount. You know, you you really should watch the the news more often, though. I mean, they announce when the malls close. They announce when sales happen on Black Friday. I mean, come on. If only I had access access to the news or someone who does the news. True. Um, Here's the little nugget that I have buried in the middle of this podcast. Okay. So for people who listened this far, here's your nugget. We spoke the other day on, on, since I do do the news, is that the right term for it? I do the news. Uh, Since I do do the news, we spoke with a guy the other day who represents hundreds of companies that sell on Amazon, okay? And he helps them to deal with supply chain issues. Well, needless to say, this guy's been like stupid busy lately, but he gave me such a great little little, little nugget that I'm going to give you now. And that is, he said a lot of these companies, you know, overordered, you know, just trying to get enough stock because they were worried about stock. And also he says, there's no way that everything is going to get to where it's supposed to go by the time it's supposed to be there. So what's going to happen is that all of this stuff is going 
going to come in, but it's going to come in after Christmas, okay? By then, a lot of people will have made different selections for Christmas gifts, et cetera, et cetera. So guess what that means in January? In January, you got a lot of late stock coming in that these stores are gonna have to get rid of, so cash will be king. Cash and gift cards. So if you've never thought of giving people cash and gift cards, they might really appreciate it come January when their dollars go further because this stuff gets marked down. Well, that, that's so, it. And the podcast is over. I mean, we're just I've already told my family, lesson, just right? give me money. I, and, and usually, you know, I guess that's supposed to be kind of garish or whatever. I'm like, just give me money or gift cards. I'm good with that. <laughs> hey, before we get too far away from Margaret Kidd, it, it is important to to settle an issue here. Uh, oh gosh, we, we did rewind the tape, and oh, and, yeah, we did. Yeah, and, and Wheeler. You know what? I I forgot to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's uh, okay. I, I knew you wouldn't, so that's why I am. Because you always acknowledge I, it when, when I, I when never, I flow. we were on the tape, and that. Wheeler said the University of Houston when he intended to say the Port of Houston, and the yes. fact that he was so combative about it had us cracking up and had us to immediately rewind the tape as soon as Margaret got off the line with us. I um and I think I actually almost gaslighted you there. You, you sure looked did? so sure at first, and then after I like really went after you for like, I mean, poor Margaret. I mean, we have this world class right. professor, this expert sitting there, and she's just waiting for us to like battle that out. And she looked like she was totally over it, right? She's thinking, who are we on but, the line with here? Right? <laughs> and I don't blame her, uh, but I never do that. I'm usually the gotcha guy who says, "Oh, I think you meant to say blah 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 blah." Yeah. There, I never do that. I swore that I had said I would have bet you money see you could have gotten cash yeah. from me right there I would have bet you money that I said it I learned my lesson I will put a wager on that next time because next e time everyone on the line here our producers and everyone else heard uh University of, of Houston well it's I heard it too when when it was uh when it was played back and and so my apologies well let, let's there that's that's better than cash that, that, well that's that's almost better than cash we'll say that I rarely give an apology yeah that'll be your ringtone uh, but we digress uh, because, OK, so Margaret, you know, you mentioned at the outset that we had somebody on today who, you know, studies this, sees it all over the world, is totally on top of it, has that 50,000 foot view. Uh, but that we also have someone today who lives this every day, day in and day out, night in and night out uh, lately, because it's been one of those all consuming jobs. He's actually been on the podcast with us here before, Aaron Armistead. He's the regional vice president at NFI Industries. And basically, you know, he is like you said, neck deep. He might be eyeball deep uh, in logistics every day. Uh, his company there has, you know, rail and rail cars and trucks and warehouses. You name it. They're they're responsible for getting stuff to where it's supposed to go, which these days is not an easy job. Aaron, welcome back, man. It's been uh, a year since we've, we've had you on the podcast here. We just talked to a, an economist from the University of Houston, and uh, she said it will be another 12 to 18 months until what she said was going to be the new normal when the supply chain works itself out. You guys are on the front row. You guys see this. You guys are living the supply chain. What's going on? What's backed up? Is it the railroads? Is it the ports, warehouses? What is it? Well, first I'll say we'll have to stop calling it the new normal and call it the new abnormal, mm -hmm. right. which was a phrase that we had an analyst uh, share with us yesterday. Uh, you know, it seems like for a couple of years now, we've been dealing with, uh, you know, exceptional events, you know, but what you have right now, you know, here we are a year later, you know, talking about some of the same things, you know, what we had a year ago was, a, you know, consequence of a reopening, obviously pent up demand, uh, which we still have, 
you know, still seeing the results of that right now. Uh, there was a need to restock inventories and, you know, the retailers have never been able to catch up from that uh, pandemic reopening. And now you've got a strong rebounding economy. You obviously have some stimulus to factor in there that's put some money in people's pockets to help sort of, you know, uh, keep the economy, um, you know, strong and moving forward. And there's just been no ability to catch up. And that goes from, you know, the container lines, bringing the containers over to the ports, to the railroad, to the trucking, to the, you know, warehouse, warehouse space. I mean, yeah, you know, vacancy levels, I don't know that have ever been, you know, this, you know, this constrained. Mm-hmm. And so. Are you still, are you guys still having trouble finding people like for warehouses, for, for trucking positions, things like that? Absolutely. So, you know, then you've got the whole labor issue, which, you know, it's interesting to be able to talk about these things and to know that uh, we're not the only ones talking about these things amongst ourselves anymore. There's so much coverage and headlines on the news now, but yeah, you know, so you think about trucking, you hear about drivers and shortages of drivers and how it's a tough job. And, you know, is there a driver problem? Is there a driver pay problem? You know, your answer to that may depend on your perspective on the industry or your role in it. But, you know, the reality of it is if you had enough drivers, um, you may not have enough people working in the warehouse to load and unload the trucks. And mm-hmm. so you have a tremendous amount of inefficiency occurring uh, just from the challenge to find people to, to, to staff different roles in this process. Um, so, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, when people go to the store and they see an empty shelf and they think, geez, this product is wiped out now, too. And how long is it going to be before they start making more of it? Uh, the chances are that that might be sitting in a container somewhere or or more likely in a warehouse, uh, because uh, I know you work at NFI Industries, another big player, Prologis, uh, just uh, held an investor call the other day, and they were basically saying, gosh, the sky's the limit for us right now, earnings potential wise, because we are just totally filled up. I mean, we, our spaces are just taken up right now. Is that what you're seeing in warehouses where they're just loaded with goods right now? Absolutely. So, you know, it could be on a ship parked off of the port of LA Long Beach. It could be in a container, you know, stacked at a port location off of a ship, or it could be in a warehouse. And you know, we work quite a bit. One of our one of our industry partners, real estate industry partners, shared with us last week that there were 15 markets under three percent vacancy, under three percent vacancy, and that you know the the top two or three big ones were under one percent vacancy. So there's just no place left to put anything. So you know, a lot of companies. Put that in perspective, real quick, Aaron. Is that like just crazy abnormal? Very, very much. I mean, there are business opportunities. And there just aren't buildings available to Hmm. provide solutions. You know, so what you had is you had a number of retailers, you know, try to anticipate and get ahead of this problem and order early. And now the question is, did that just make things worse Hmm. by bringing things in early and, you know, creating congestion creating sort of the bottleneck that we're seeing now that it's going to really going to be hard to undo in a short period of time. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. How, how do you undo it then? If, if there's no vacancy in warehouses, if you're trying to hire truckers and, and you can't get anyone to take those positions or as many as you need, how do you undo this? You know, I, I would say there's definitely no easy answer. And I would say that there are conversations being had now as a result of this challenge and, you know, what you have is you have a 
carefully orchestrated supply chain that's had a lar very large wrench thrown into it and is now forcing the different parties that work together and had created that balance to try to work together to figure out how to solve this. And, you know, you hear about the the decision, you know, of the ports in, in Southern California to open up that 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. shift and then subsequently no drivers showing up during those shifts to pick up any, you know, containers to get ahead. Well, so, you know, is it the ports issue because the ports difficult to work with? Is it a lack of drivers? Is it a lack of drivers willing to work in the middle of the night? Or is it that no driver wants to go pick up a container if he has no place to deliver it because the warehouses that they deliver to aren't open at four in the morning or five in the morning or six in the morning? You know, so you have these sort of inter interconnected relationships that have to be worked out, you know, together. And, you know, it's going to take time. Demand, as strong as it is, doesn't seem to open up any opportunity to really mm -hmm. solve any of that in the short term. So, Aaron, not to keep harping on truck drivers here, but it sounds like if the warehouses have no vacancy and they're they're just jam-packed with, with all this stuff, um, it, my first reaction is, well, you need more truck drivers to get this stuff to the actual retailers or to the the you know businesses or end users. It, it, so is the truck driver issue, is, is there a shortage of truck drivers that's really hampering emptying out these warehouses? You know, so, uh, you know, like, like, like I, I think I referenced to earlier, it depends on your perspective. So there are companies that certainly have enough drivers that could probably recruit and bring on enough drivers, but can't buy trucks can't get trucks from the truck manufacturers or cannot find trailers. So we have, even if we had drivers, we would be short of actual trucks and trailers for the drivers to handle. You know, the mm. semiconductor, uh, you know, shortage is definitely impacting truck manufacturing. You know, we've, NFI works very closely with uh, our, you know, our partners that we buy trucks from, we're a fairly large purchaser of, of class A trucks. We tend to partner close with them, order early, and we are having our orders, you know, cut into 2022 and we're not alone. And there's just, uh, there, there's just not an availability there. So, you know, certainly there are ways to make the, you know, the truck driving, you know, job more attractive, pay is certainly an issue you know drivers have not received you know an effective pay increase in in a very very long period of time they're starting to see that now which is a good thing um, but there are definitely some real challenges there but that's not the only challenge yeah just hearing about all of that gives you a headache trying to solve it in your own head like where you know where do you even begin uh to to try to solve something like that uh aaron i want to ask you uh, because last year we talked about how difficult of a year it had been for businesses because you know everything it seems like every time we turn around we hear unprecedented and they're having to figure out how to shift on the fly and don't know what to expect uh you know a week a month six months down the road are you getting the sense now that we've been in this for a couple of years and it's just been nuts? Are businesses starting to figure this out uh, as to how to get their business going correctly here and, and keep that supply flowing? Do you think they're getting it? I, uh, I think there continue to be real challenges. So, hmm. you know, let's, let's you know, set aside just the supply chain, just the moving of the product, but what about costs? You know, supply demand, 
issues can create upward cost pressures. And, you know, we've seen uh, some partners of ours, customers of ours, really, um, really willing to do whatever it takes. You know, it's one thing to pay more to transport and solve a supply chain problem. It's another thing if you miss the sale entirely because mm-hmm. your product never arrived. And so, you know, the, the upward cost pressure, I think from all of this, you know, set aside the lost sales that have occurred and some of the missed opportunity and, and the empty shelves. And if you're not there now, will people remember your brand name in the future? I mean, I think there's some real challenges that everyone is in the middle of. Uh, you know, I would say that it seems like some of the larger retailers, um, while, you know, not immune and still impacted you know, uh, you know, have been able to navigate this maybe um, more easily or have more resources to navigate this than, you know, than some of the smaller businesses. So I think that's still a real issue. Hmm. We, we started the conversation about uh, 12 to 18 months. You know, that's the, the new normal. You, uh, I think, probably correctly said it's the new abnormal. But my question now is, what does the new abnormal actually look like? Are we, is this it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months, yeah, you know, if we talk about the freight economy in 2018, there was a very strong freight economy. You think about some back-to-back hurricanes and some pull forward from some tariffs that uh, you know some importers try to get ahead of, and then things eased up in 2019. So while it certainly feels right now that it's all doom and gloom, uh, you know some relaxed customer demand. Uh, some entrance into the market from a driver and labor perspective, which it sounds like there are some people coming back to work, either you know feeling confident to come back to work or or being motivated from a compensation level to come back to work. Uh, that entering the market and and you know the entrance to you know tr- driving and trucking industry, the barriers are fairly low. So we are seeing some influx and some entry into that. So you know this. Um, you know, and then what about customer demand? Customer demand now is strong. What is the inflation story going to be? You know, are we, we, we have money now, we want to spend, but there is a point at which you may think twice about some, some expenditures if things get so expensive. So what is that, does that dampen demand? And you, you put those three together and, and certainly you can see a scenario where this could ease up much sooner than that 12 to 18 months. The economy stays strong and you know, who knows? Uh, here's the last one I've got for you. Uh, you know, we all tend to sort of focus in on what the retailers are going to do. You know, do the checkers uh, have to work on, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and, you know, how far up do, to Christmas do they keep working? I'm curious about the rest of the chain here. I don't know what your schedule is usually like around the holidays, but I'm just curious about what this year looks like if you work in supply chain or logistics. Are are you guys likely to be there till the very end? And, and is that normal? Normal. So, you know, being on call, so to speak, and being being available, uh, you know, 24 hours, you know, you know, part of part of the lifestyle uh, that you probably get used to. You guys probably understand that as well as uh, yeah. as we do. Familiar with it. Uh, Podcast demands are really tough here. You can't imagine <laughs> over the top. Uh, but yeah, I think this this year, I mean, it's you know, burnout, uh, you know, employees feeling overworked, that's been a real issue. And we have to remind ourselves to, to talk about it. It's almost we don't ask about it anymore because we all know what we're living and how, 
you know, how nonstop it is and how difficult it is. You know, there's business opportunity, but it's very difficult to navigate all this. There's just no place to, to move anything. There's no slack, you know, on the rope to pull on. And um, so, you know, we we're talking about that and, you know, we do, people need to take time off. I mean, this is, uh, people have worked very hard. The pandemic, you know, people worked remotely. They worked harder probably than they ever had because there was no separation from that work and personal life. And following up, now we're kind of working our way back in the office and things are just as tough as not tougher. So we have to really be aware of that. And that is a real challenge. So my last question, Aaron, are, are you done with your Christmas shopping yet? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a no. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we have uh, we did uh, we've been watching this. So we have what we did order, order earlier this year than we did last year. Uh, but I think we will probably, uh, you know, the kids are older and are different. Uh, I think we'll, we'll do some last minute shopping. You know, we're all going to do last minute shopping. So that's going to be really interesting. But no, we've done the bulk of we've done the bulk of it already. And it's in the garage. For about, Boy, for about a month already. Any better. For about a month already. Yeah. For about a month. This is starting to for feel about, bad. Jason, we're the last two. But, you know, that's probably usually that way, too. So I, I know. It, yeah, totally how it is. We'll have to go to the stores instead of relying on on uh, online purchases. I now. may see you there. We may be fighting over the same last product. Right. Uh, Aaron, that was fantastic, man. Thank you so much and appreciate your expertise. Uh, two years in a row now from NFI Industries. Let's talk with you guys. So, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. And, and thanks again for uh, for the last two years. Really appreciate that. And um, you know what? Next week, we're really excited about the, the next couple of weeks here because we have some really cool uh, episodes. And we're not going to not going to give it away, uh, you know, too much about who we're talking to. One of them, though, is clearly uh, breaks the record for the the farthest away interview we've ever conducted in, a, yeah. in one of the most remote parts of the planet. Uh, we're excited about that one. And then coming up, um, probably right after that, we're also going to one of the state's most historic bars in San Antonio that you've never heard of, probably. I, I've lived in Texas 21 years. I've been to a, a lot of old taverns and places like that. Uh, it's not the Manger Hotel, which mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of. This is a different right. place. And we're going to go with one of the uh, state's biggest CEOs to that place. And, 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 and it's all about something that was scribbled down on a napkin that changed all of our lives. <laughs> so that's you know? it for uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and subscribe. If, if you don't know anyone who subscribes, give that to them as, yes. as a holiday gift. That can be your it's Black free. Friday That's gift. best. It's free. Uh, and, and, and when you're there sequestered with the family and friends for Thanksgiving uh, and, you know, things get a little old sometimes they get a little testy sometimes talk about yolitics get them to subscribe as well tell them that they gotta listen uh and enjoy being with family and friends again uh this year because i know that last year was an was an odd one for sure uh wishing you a safe and happy thanksgiving travels whatever you do and uh, we'll see you again next week 